0: continuing with our summer study and the identity of who we are in Christ. and, and uh, today we're going to be focusing on the fact that we are adopted. And uh, as we get to that, just a reminder is how we, what we've gone through in a way of introduction. And this is all Christians. And in other words, anybody who's confessed Christ, who's saved, has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are a chosen person. This is we started with that idea. You are chosen. You are justified. You have been made righteous. It's like a that justified is like a term of law. In a court of law, you have been justified and the judge is looking at you and pronounces the the, the not guilty plea because Jesus took the guilty plea for us. We've been justified. We are saints. We are holy people set aside for the purposes of God and His His plans, His will to be accomplished. We are in Christ. We're chosen, justified saints in Christ. As a result, we are kings and priests to serve the Lord and to, to serve each other in the body of Christ and to minister to the world. And then even more, Like today, we're going to look at adopted, but we're also loved, we're righteous, we're bride of Christ, we're the body of Christ, we're the temple of God, we are a new creation. And so as we look at these things, uh, again today, we'll be looking at adopted, and and if uh, you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will "...all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth." Verse 11, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee or or the down payment in some translations of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So, chosen, justified saints in Christ, kings and priests, you are an adopted people. And this idea of uh, adopted is, as we go through it, we just, the number of things we'll look at here, but I want you to note that you are, as it says in verse four, that we're chosen before the foundation of the world. The way it is put together here, we are also predestined for adoption before the foundation of the world. In other words, it's, you need to start looking at this as we've sitting here, been Systematically tearing it apart, it's really a whole. It, none of these things are apart from each other. Christ sees them as a whole. We might not be at the same place in every part as someone else is, but it's all part of who we are. And so I may, you know, you can't say, "Well, uh, I, I'm chosen and justified, but I'm not a saint yet." <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We are chosen, justified saints in Christ, high priests, and we're adopted. And no Christian is left out of that adoption. All who have confessed Christ with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Christ and are saved are adopted. And it was before the foundation of the world that this plan of salvation was put into effect. And God chose, justified it in all of it. He saw it before, before it ever happened in, in, in the foundation of the world. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we have again this picture of adoption. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And so this picture of adoption is, is that we've been drawn into a family. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We are the children of God. Galatians chapter 4, uh, says something very similar to that, and, uh, it, in, in fact, we'll look at it, verse uh, 4 through uh, 6. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons or as children. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So again, Paul repeating to the Galatians something very important for us to grab a hold of. This idea of being in the family, being a child of God, being an heir to the inheritance. And the inheritance is what Christ inherits as the son. And, and, and understand, you know, you'll, you'll hear the phrase, he's the only begotten son. That's, a legal phrase, meaning He is the first in order to receive the inheritance. He's the one that receives all the inheritance. There is no other Son, but He is the the begotten, the only begotten, so He is the inheritor. And as a result, as He inherits, we inherit with Him. He shares that with us. Can you imagine to start thinking about that? And If we just stopped here and, and left this morning and just spent the rest of the day thinking about that periodically, I think we would find ourselves in, you know, just caught up with it at some point and saying, what an amazing thing to contemplate, to meditate on. That we are heirs within the kingdom of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. Now, just a side note here, and, 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 I, and not a side note in the sense of less important, but it, it's a little off the center of where we were going. The idea of, of being able to cry, Abba, Father. There is a lot of different teaching on this. I've heard some interesting things uh, as a phraseology of people saying Abba being the familiar and Father being a more uh, uh, priestly or, or higher reverent tone. Uh, so we're kind of saying Daddy, Father type of thing. That's not really, if you go back to the, the Aramaic studies of the word Abba, that really doesn't fit. Uh, it's just saying... Abba in the Aramaic and Father in the Greek. So no matter who you are, you can, you, you understand, but you know, this is, you know, this is who God is. He's our Father. We could just say, My Father. In fact, we're told to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, King James Version again. And, and, uh, we, we say, you know, Our Father. You, you could say, My Father, who is in heaven. Holy is your name. It's a sense, though, to understand. The, the only other place you really see this, clearly, is in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says there that He cries out, Abba, Father. By the word, the word cry used there, here, and in, in Galatians and Romans both, uh is is the idea of something audible loud it wasn't it wasn't quiet uh and and actually one the word can be go to the intense part of the idea of a shriek so I want you to you know i'm not gonna do anything like that but it's it's not uh to, to to be taken as a sense of that that we're you know, it's something that we say loudly. And at the time that, that that you crying out, Abba Father, if we use Jesus as an example, it was a time of agony, stress, and, and 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 as he looked ahead to the cross and 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 desperate for for the attention that he needed from the Father and the angels to come and minister to him. All the things that happened after that, it's it's he was looking ahead to the cross and all that he was going to go through, and he says, Abba Father. It's an intimate relationship that also is revealed in that. We are a part of the family of God. God is Father. We can say Father to Him. And we're not being irreverent and we're not taking it lightly. It's It's not too familiar. It's supposed to be intimate. So, both Romans and Galatians recording that picture of crying, Abba, Father, uh, that was used by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we start to look at at being the children of God, I I was reading an older commentary uh, from uh, uh, one of the uh, German writers and he was talking about the fact that, that the whole world, all of the people of the world are the children of God. And this man was not irreverent. He was a, a firm believer in, in Christ. Don't, so don't get, you know, like sidetracked like he's trying to get everybody universal salvation or anything here. Because he was going to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and, and looking at it. And so I thought I should at least mention this uh, in case uh, there's a time where you ever come across it and you're wondering how that works. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is on Oropagus, uh, uh, a small hill uh, in uh, Athens, uh, not too far from the Acropolis. And, and it's a place where all of the learned scholars like to meet and debate things. And they debate theology and politics and just about anything that you could think of. And in the vicinity was a number of altars to all sorts of gods. And, and this is where we come in on this. Uh, verse 22, chapter 17, it says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live, and all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods, uh, determining lauded periods of and, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, We ought not to think that the uh, the divine being is like is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And here's where this this one person got sidetracked. Were God's offspring or children of God? This is a you don't just please we don't want to take this particular one out of context. Where is Paul? He's in the midst of Athenian scholars who are not Christians, and he's saying one of your writers calls us the offspring of God. If that were to be true, being God's offspring, using their argument, in other words, in their text, we ought not to think of the divine being as like gold or stone. In other words, then all these other gods must not have any reality if what your own author said could possibly be true. And in some way, we all are children of God. We are all created, how? In the image of God. We are all under a form of what you might call a universal grace. He even alludes to it here. How, you know, how many people out in the world today, right now, are getting a breath of air? Yeah. Everyone that's still living. <laughs> okay, Even though they might be outside of Christ, they are still breathing. They're still living. They're still finding food. They're being provided. God says that it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, there are blessings that come to the people Uh, uh, in spite of who they are and and even if they choose not to recognize God, they still have a part in the sense of grace working. They get another breath even though they've sinned. What do they deserve? The same thing we deserve the moment we sinned. The first time I sinned, I didn't run immediately to God and ask for forgiveness. I was living under that grace though in the sense that He gave me another breath. My brain synapses continued to fire and, and, and I, I continued to, to exist. But I don't want to confuse this. Offspring of God in the sense of men created in the image of God in a universal context as the same thing as the children of God adopted because there's no comparison. The offspring of God, if we're using Paul's analogy here, uh, is basically people of the world in general. The adopted people are the people of the kingdom of God, resting in salvation through Christ Jesus. So keep that in mind as we're going. This is, this is a unique and special relationship. Other religions of the world do not grasp into this. They don't feed into this. You know, they, There's all sorts of things they look at as the God, but they don't see themselves as as the children of God in the sense of adoption, adopted by God, drawn into the family, joint heirs with, his in, with the inheritance of, 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 of the heavens and, and, and all that is there. It's just an amazing thing that we need to grasp. Coming back to this idea of adoption, who adopted us? Well, in verse 3 of of, of, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us and even chose us, going down to verse 4, and predestined us for adoption. So it's God the Father who has adopted us. In in verse 4, it says, uh, how, how did He adopt us? In verse 4, it says He chose us. It's you I want to adopt. And he had that relationship in mind before the foundation of the world. And that it has been done, according to verse 5, through Jesus Christ. We have been chosen through Jesus Christ to receive what? Verse 6, His glorious grace. And then a, a powerful side note to that which He lavished on us. I know you've heard me reflect on the word lavish when it's been used other places. He lavished means that He abundantly poured out. Leaving nothing uncovered. It's almost in a sense that He he has poured out more than is necessary for what we need. Everything that needs to be covered has been covered and possibly even then some in order to to make sure that there's no doubt in our minds that the blood of Christ has covered us when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth who He is. So He chooses us through Christ for His glorious grace which He lavishes upon us. And then it says we have forgiveness of our trespasses or forgiveness of our sins. Sins is anything that misses God's holiness. I I know that you, you you hear it over again and in sense at times we're preaching to the choir when we say it this way, but the picture of the guy with the bow and arrow shooting at the target, and if he hit the target, uh, the bullseye, you know, he hit the mark. If he missed the bullseye, even by a little bit, it was sin. It miss he did he he missed the mark, and I'm thinking of how many times I missed the target, you know. Uh, and, and I didn't even hit the barn the, the barn side either. Uh you know, and and uh that that idea of of it's no different than missing the mark a little bit or missing the mark a lot. We have all trespassed, we have all sinned, we've all missed the mark of God's holiness. And as and and, and so the, we have forgiveness for that. If we have been called and chosen and 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 His glorious grace that has been lavished on us, then we have been forgiven through His grace. We have been forgiven of missing the mark. In Ephesians two, uh, chapter or chapter two, verse four, it says, "God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He" uh, with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Just wanted to emphasize that idea of by grace. The grace that He's lavished. We have been saved. But it's interesting to note there that he, this is where it, it brings in this idea. God rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Starts to lead us into why He's saved us. Who did He save? All that He has chosen. How did He save us? Through His grace and and, and ultimately through Jesus Christ and, and the grace that He gives us, lavishes on us. Because of His great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace purchased by Jesus Christ at the cross, his death, his burial are the, the proof of the purchase, and his resurrection is the proof that he can give it to us and cover us. Why did God do this? Because it was it was the purpose of His will. It's just it, it's what He gives us. You know, it, we can ask all day long and try to get into minute details, but we won't get there because it just tells us. This was God's plan from the beginning. Before the foundation, this is His plan. It was His will. A divine plan for His children to the praise of His glory. Why did He do this? Because it's His plan that it will bring Him glory, but it will bless His children. And we are His children if we have confessed Christ. And, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 Puts it greatly. It says, "See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are." Just puts it into that picture. John three sixteen starts to come alive, and again, over and over again, as we go through this. God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever ever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See what kind of love He has for us. That we should be called the children of God. And we are so. The results of of this love that He has for us, this choosing us and justifying us, of separating us as saints, and, and, and entering into this relationship as adopting us as His children that we might have that intimate Abba-Father relationship with Him. It's, it, the result is that He, in verse 3 it says, He has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I have no idea how many blessings that is. Something tells me in my heart, and my mind, and what I can see in Scripture that every time we look around in heaven, we will see one, a new one, for eternity. God is eternal, he, you know, and, and he and he's out here with these spiritual blessings for us. There's no exhausting them. He sees us in verse four. He says we're holy and blameless before Him. Holy again, that idea of being saints. Blameless, that idea of being justified before Him. We are redeemed, verse 7 says. Our trespasses, again, are told, it says again, our trespasses have been forgiven. Our missing the mark has been forgiven. Verse 8 says His grace has been lavished upon us. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13 says that we have been sealed. And 14 says we've been guaranteed. With the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. The promised Holy Spirit comes. When we confess Christ as our Savior, He doesn't come and sit next to us or occasionally visit us. He dwells within us. And as a result, He is the residence, taking residence in us at that point. We have been sealed and guaranteed. He is the guarantee or the down payment was another way of phrasing that of, our, uh, of the inheritance to come. We are entering into it now, but it is not complete. So all that we can think about now and the joy of being saved and the joy of having a relationship with Christ, uh, being the children of God, adopted into the family of God, all of that right now should bring us some kind of, of, of sense of joy and, and yet to look forward to when it's completed. We have no idea yet what that's going to look like. So we sing a song, you know, I can't wait to see it face to face. Our whole status, when we become adopted as, as the children of God, our whole status changes. Before we were children of God, we were dead. As children of God, we are alive. Talk about a status change. want a status symbol, you can't have one better than that. You are alive in Christ, adopted, chosen, justified, sanctified. Now, talk about I mean, people who are trying to achieve status symbols with so many different things, and yet here's the ultimate. Status symbol. We are saved. When we go through John and in, in uh, John chapter one and in, the, in the, the verses like around verse twelve in, in that area, it says, basically in a paraphrase, we receive God into our lives, and God receives us into His family. I like that as a paraphrase. God receives. Uh, you know, we receive God into our lives. And He receives us into His family. I want to emphasize here, this idea of being saved has nothing to do with your feelings and emotions. Because there will be days as one who has confessed Christ where you've you've had that confidence that you, you know that you know that you're saved... There will be days and circumstances and things that come into your life that will cause you to have a, a, a moment of doubt. That's where the Holy Spirit is there to remind you, and He and He does. And and you know we we will get to it in a minute, but you know Satan's on the other side of it, saying, "See, you, 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 God doesn't love you," or whatever. And that's where we come back to the Word and we read it and we, and we dwell on it and we meditate on it. I tell people at this point, it's a great, you know, when you're, you're down and depressed, and I've had people say, it's hard for me to go to sleep. All I can do is think. I, I say, have, you know, a, a few Christian hymns on a tape that, uh, or a CD or, or something that you can listen to as you go to sleep it's amazing. And on the nights where my insomnia is outwitting that process, I listen to hours of great music. And I still win. Our emotions don't determine the reality of our salvation. Our feelings don't determine uh, the the reality of our salvation. It's a fact. It's a done deal. We've been sealed. We've been guaranteed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's not based on what we have done. It's based on what Christ has done already. Not one of us deserve it. Not one of us can earn it. There's nothing. The whole world we sing in one hymn. The whole world were mine, it would not be an offering enough. God's great, amazing grace. I don't know. I I, I came across this in, in uh, a while back in in some old notes. I was looking up something. Well, actually, uh, a book that I had borrowed uh, borrowed from the the Bible College that I went to. They they have a loaning. Process that you can do through the mail. And uh, in it, he mentioned uh, an acronym uh, for grace. And, and, And using grace, actually, as an acronym. So, G R A C E. Okay? Grace. G, great. R, riches. A, at. C, Christ's. E, expense. Great, riches at Christ's expense. That's God's grace. And, I, and I, I was reminded of that. And I thought, gosh, I remember hearing that in my first year classes in, 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 in Bible college uh, from a teacher by the name of Dallas Meserve. And I just found out from this, this last visit with uh, the Clarks that Dallas at age 94 is still up and around and driving. And it uh, kind of amazed me. Uh, I, I thought he was old when I was in Bible college. And now I'm just barely younger than him. Uh, but uh, great riches at Christ's expense. And I just wanted to share that with you as just a, a way to keep it in, in focus and in, in mind. Those kind of things help me a lot. Uh, as God's adopted children, instead of being conformed to the fallen world, we are being transformed into the, the kingdom of God, into the likeness of Christ and the things of God's kingdom. And so as a result, we're actually at war. The fallen world wants nothing to do with Christ. And, and I have to say that before I was a Christian, I was at war with Christians. I couldn't understand their commitment. I couldn't understand this going to church two, three, four times a week. Uh, and it's quite interesting that over the years how that's kind of faded, but but, but uh, the idea is, is that still this commitment to being in church every Sunday the willingness to give of your resources every month or every week or, or however often you can. And, and my dad was convinced that uh, as a non-Christian, he was convinced that I had joined a cult because I was so caught, captivated with it. It was such an amazing transformation going on. My, I, my status had changed. I was a new person. I was a new creature. And, and as a result, I was at war. What was I first at war with? My own sin. I'm at war with my flesh. Romans chapter 7 gives us a detailed account of that. I'm at war with pride, with self centeredness, anger, bitterness, covetousness, against the schemes of Satan. His accusations are you. Really save Bob I was given uh, there was a uh, uh, an evangelist uh pastor that that uh, uh, took his vacations as as uh, going to other churches and doing uh revival meetings and this type of thing. His name was Fred Masteller and uh he was uh at our church and and he came by to visit me at my shop and i was telling him you know i was wrestling with a few things and i I said i know that i am but it's like satan's over here saying but and and some of the things that i was struggling with and i shared with him and i said i can't seem to get past these things yet he says god will work that he will do it you know that's part of the transformation process it's a lifetime process i wanted it to happen boom and then we were done with it you know And he says, so come with me. And we went outside and and I I owned the property next to the shop, uh, a lot next to it. And and in my shop together, he he worked with me. We made a cross and put my name on it and and the day that I accepted Christ and then we put it up on the lot and we punched it into the ground. He said, just leave that there. And the next time that happens, you go out and you say, Satan, see? The old man is dead. The new man is in Christ. Yes, I don't have it perfect yet, but God's going to take care of that. He will complete the work that He has started. I love Fred Masteller. He gave me pictures that I could see and understand. He knew that what I needed to get through it. Ephesians gives us a great picture in chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, uh, in the sense of the armor of God. that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And where are we standing firm? Standing firm in a fallen world. okay? And standing firm is a military picture in the sense of to take ground and then hold it. Okay, I've come this far. I don't want to slip back. Stand firm. Is there more ground to gain? Yes, but don't. that's going to come when it comes. Stand firm where you are and what God has worked in you already. And at that point, you get the chance to look back and say, my gosh, God has done amazing things. So, this idea of standing firm is a, is, is a powerful picture in and of itself. Uh, and you stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Those are all the accusations that he wants to throw at you. you know. And and the the, the shield of faith deflects those. And I, I, I have a picture in my mind of the shield of faith being far different in a sense than just a regular shield, because if I have if I if I'm dressed in the shield of faith and it says the darts, I, I see Satan as a devious person attacking from the rear, and I feel I still feel like the darts are going to bounce off. The shield surrounds me, <laughs> the Holy Spirit in that sense, you know, and so, so putting on the shield or you know having the shield of faith, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power, prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying for one another as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then going on to pray for, for, for Paul. So, the armor of God. We stand firm in a, in a fallen world that rejects God. And it rejects God's Word. It looks at God's Word at the very best as something interesting to read, as a a book full of interesting good stories, interesting stories, folklore, this type of thing. I've shared with you many times before I was a Christian, taking a a class in in college called Wisdom Lit. And it included uh, Proverbs. And when we looked at Proverbs, we, didn't see, we weren't reading anything spiritual. We were just looking at it as to how to apply it you know, from a man's way of thinking. If I had the helmet of salvation on protecting my brain and influencing me, I'd have been a whole different story. Our affections change. The things that we care about and, and, and love and covet if you will, change from what the world values to what God values, beginning with His Word. It's an interesting thing. Before I was a Christian, His Word was what I figured from the, what I got out of Proverbs in, in, in a secular college. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at His Word from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. It's God breathed. So one of the first things that I was, I was discipled in was that this is the Word of God. And, and it was amazing to me because as I started to read it, it started to come alive. There was something else that had happened. In this transition, in this transformation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is opening my mind, opening my eyes. The helmet of salvation is in place. And my, I'm, I'm changing the way I think. And so the things that the world values start to fade and the things that are valuable in God's eyes start to become important. One of the most valuable things that we have is to know that we are part of the kingdom of God. And the thing that the world values most as I, as I look around, which is generally wealth, what's, what's the, 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 one of the main standards for, for, for a picture of wealth? Gold. I think of, 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 of uh, the Japanese prime minister bringing a, a golf club uh, to, to uh, uh, President Trump uh, and, and, and it's a gold golf club worth thousands of dollars as a gift. Okay. Symbol of, of, of you know, because he loved golf and all that kind of stuff, but it was gold. It wasn't just a golf club. It was a gold golf club and the idea again of that's a symbol of wealth it's a symbol of prestige it's a symbol of so many things in that sense it's building materials in heaven in fact it's pavement and there's nobody digging it up our values change we go from being a slave of the flesh and the world to being and I'm going to be cautious how I say this but understand a slave of God. It is important to understand we are not our own, and we never have been, and never will be. When God brings us into His family, we are adopted, and and we're the sons. And 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 in a, a symbol of, of of how that acts, we we have, you know, it's it's more important than what a slave would be. But the idea of slave still is there, meaning we are to hear. To now serve God before we were saved, we served Satan whether you wanted to or not, whether you thought you did or you didn 't it has no the reality is unless you are serving God, you are serving satan you 've got to serve somebody, and it 's either the Satan or God you serve if you 're serving yourself you 're serving Satan. And so these changes from serving the world to, to, to serving God. And, and I put in here something that's familiar with you for me. The I'm third attitude. God is first in all things. And we see it through His Word and, and, and so we elevate His Word as something to be looked at, studied, and, and as, as authority over all things in our lives. Other people are second. First coming in that order is my, is my wife, my spouse. She is ahead of me in the way and the desire of how me to serve God. I need to serve her and to minister to her as Christ ministered to the church and even gave His life for her. Then me. God first, the other person second, and I am third. With this transformation, things really start to come together as we start to, to grow in Christ. We realize we have peace with God. God, you know, when it says peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The peace that was being talked about wasn't a lack of war or anything like that. The idea that what was coming from this Messiah was peace with God. We were at odds with God. We were enemies of God until Christ enters in and the Holy Spirit is part of our lives and we are saved. At that point, we are now at peace with God. We've been redeemed. The price of our sins has been paid in full. So there's nothing separating us from God. We are at peace with God. And that brought back to mind for me, Abba Father. I can now approach His throne and, and come into His presence. Even though I can't see Him eye to eye, face to face at this point, I still come into His presence and, 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 and worship and prayer and in confidence of that, that He's with me. The boldness, I just said it, but I'll I'll read it the way I wrote it in my notes. The boldness to come before God through Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. A confidence in God's covering. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is able to do more abundantly than whatever we could imagine or ask for. Now somebody could say, well, I, I can ask for a lot. Keep in mind with all, all the other, according to His purpose and His will. Okay? The reason why we're coming to this point where we can rest in Him with this confidence is because we're wanting His will to be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as we're asking for our daily needs. But He will provide absolutely what we need. Romans 8. Very familiar verses to you. Romans 8.28 We know that for those who love God, all things work together Good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Sounds like we're going through all those sermons again. Do you rest with confidence that all things work together to bring you to the point that you need to be to grow in the next step with your relationship with Christ? And some of you, I know, have been through some devastating things, some tragic things, some sad things. God wastes nothing. He will use it all to bring about His purposes, both for His kingdom and for you within the framework of His purpose, His kingdom, to accomplish His will and to transform you into Christ likeness. I. Have a, a, a couple of paragraphs here that I want to read to you. I don't know who to attribute them to because even though it was you know, a quote, it was put in the context of some theologian once said type thing, you know, and it was a few paragraphs. And, and in that, I looked at this as a way maybe to bring a summary to, to what we've shared this morning. We have a Father who cares and provides and exercises authority over us. We have a shared birth and the same elder brother, capital E, capital B, elder brother. We all speak the same language, even down to little phrases and sayings peculiar to the family. Even though we might speak it in a language foreign, it's the same phrases, the same thoughts, the same ideas. Because where do they come from? His word. We have a shared history, a family tree that goes back to our great-grandfather Abraham. We have a special knowledge, family occasions, peculiar to us. We have ritual and activities that have meaning to us alone. We're going to share in communion in a minute. The world looks at it and is confused. And many of the people in the early time of the church who were looking at it from the outside in thought we were being uh, cannibals, uh, because we were saying we we're eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood. But to us, it has a, a powerful and special meaning that, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's meaning to us alone, and each one enters into unique obligations and privileges. Our pedigree does not matter, meaning where we come from in this earth does not matter. The pre Christian past is unimportant. The denominational label is cosmetic. If we are Christians, then we are the household of faith and the family of God. We are united and loving family as Christians because someone in our family has died. God's own son. And because of that death, there is hope for us. We have all been reconciled to God and pardoned of our sins through Him. So, given grace to be reconciled to one another. Notice how he put that. To be reconciled also to one another. So that how we talk to one another, how we act towards one another, is with the intent to build up and to lift up. Again, we can go into Ephesians 4 and 5 and look at that idea of, of the words that come from our mouth. Are they building up or are they tearing down? And, and uh, we're part of the love of the brotherhood of believers. Then we know that our Father never commands us to do anything, that He fails to give us directions how and provides the ability to do it. You are able to love your brothers and sisters with a pure heart, fervently. Your problem is not lack of resources to do this. It's your failure to avail yourself of those resources that will allow you to do this. You must appropriate the meekness and the gentleness of our great High Priest, Jesus Christ. I thought those were great words to to close on this morning. We are adopted. We are part of the family of God. We are the children of God. We are brothers and sisters. I'm thinking of the Gaither song. We are all I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, you know, and uh, you know brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's our goal to minister one to another with what gifts we have, calling on the, the, the direction of God as to how to do that and to use those gifts to His glory and to the purpose of building His kingdom. And so, as we come now to communion, with one of those special points that we practice that has such special meaning to us, communion, the breaking of bread, the sharing of the cup, to represent what Christ has done for us so that we could be part of the family of God. He did the work. It is finished. Through His death on the cross, so it's a tremendous picture that he has given us. Again, knowing that, that we needed those things to be able to be reminded constantly. He said, as often as you gather together. Uh, in Acts it says, as often as they gather together. In fact, there's a couple of scriptures that implied that that could have been every night of the week. They were sharing in communion. So let's have communion together this morning. I ask that you would hold the emblems until we've all been served and we'll share together.